0: And welcome to Science and Magic, the films of Studio Ghibli, where myself and my two good friends, Jamie, say hello, Jamie. Hello. And Ruben, say hi, Ruben. Hello, everyone. Are going to talk about each of the films of Studio Ghibli one at a time. And we're coming at you from various locations around the globe. Uh, I'm in London. Guys, Where are you
1: i'm in denver colorado
0: sounds
2: cold it did just snow there did it not jamie
1: yeah i'm looking out the window and i can see snow
0: not not uh, so cold in washington
1: no
2: it was around i would say 20 22 degrees yesterday centigrade so it was in the 70s yesterday it was quite nice actually and balmy. uh yeah balmy and it was uh, pretty nice today i went on a uh Nice little run yesterday. It was uh, it's very warm, actually. I think it was the warmest Thanksgiving on record.
0: Very nice. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you guys. We're recording right after uh, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, you guys won't hear this for a little while, though. Uh, so that's just giving you a little peek behind the curtain. That is science and magic. We're here to talk today about the first of the Studio Ghibli movies. all low, is it? Uh, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. Um, so before before we get to uh, what is going to be basically a bit of a brain dump, I guess, isn't it, guys? We haven't really, we've each watched the movie, obviously in the past, but obviously, but very recently also for the purposes of the podcast, we're just going to toss it all around. Um, but before we get to that, just going to give you guys um, a little history lesson for this one. Uh, probably not for all of them because this one obviously is the first one. It's got a bit of history to it uh, and to is, is to contextualize where it, where it fits uh, and a little synopsis of the movie, which which we'll do for each one. You guys uh, all set?
1: Yes. Though I want to add, I had never seen this movie before.
0: Ah, okay. okay. I hadn't mean,
2: either. It was my first time watching it.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. Well, let's uh, let's discuss why on earth that is. Um, <laughs> uh in a sec Let, let's um let's put this in a bit of context though first right because this this was actually pre studio ghibli this was so so miyazaki made the castle of cagliostro uh in the late 70s i don't know if you guys have seen that one
3: no no yeah. Well,
0: it's quite a cute little heist movie um but wasn't a, a really big success in japan a chap called uh, Toshio Suzuki, uh, who was then the editor of uh, of Animage magazine, Animage, possibly, magazine, which was uh, established about a year or so earlier, which was, um, it was produced or published, rather, by um, Studio Ghibli parent company Takuma Shoten, a, a big publica- uh, publishing conglomerate in uh, in Japan. Suzuki was impressed and brought Miyazaki in which eventually resulted in his his manga Nausicaa, being serialized. This is Miyazaki's kind of first kind of launch pro- project for Animage magazine. When they looked to then make that into an anime, uh, a film, they went to a kind of minor production studio called Topcraft, um which sounds like an 80s band but isn't. And and asked them to produce it, given Takuma, Takuma Shoten didn't have its own animation studio at that time. Another chap called Iseo Takahata came on board uh, as exec producer. And then those three guys, Takahata, Suzuki, and of course, most notably Miyazaki, would then take all feature animation in-house by buying Topcraft. Uh, and then folding it into Takuma Shoten, renaming it and rebranding it Studio Ghibli, and that that's where we get Nausicaa um, as the first as the well as their first project together, um, but but pre Studio Ghibli, it was um, it was heavily cut. For, for, we'll get we'll get to the big story about cuts. It, it's heavily cut for the U.S. release in the late eighties, uh, and it was titled Warriors of the Wind. Obviously Miyazaki hated all that. And that'll prove a reoccurring theme with a point in the end. But as I say, we'll get to that. Um, before we get into I'm so keen. I really want to, <laughs> keen to hear you guys' thoughts about this. But just before we do that, I want to give the listeners a little brief synopsis. If you've not if you're not watched this movie, guys, just go watch it. It's absolutely fantastic in my mind. It, in my view, it's absolutely fantastic. But here's basically it in a nutshell. Uh, and now I'm going to stop talking because you heard enough of me already. Um, it's it's set a thousand years After industrialized humans pollute the earth uh, so badly that it's kind of now a wasteland, and the remaining human settlements uh, are all kind of threatened by, in the Japanese language, an English subtitled version is called the Sea of Decay. But in the the Disney version, the US dub, it's called the Toxic Forest, which is a forest of poisonous spores um, protected by a population of giant insects, most notably the enormous Omu, which we'll come to talk about shortly. Nausicaa herself is the princess of the Valley of the Wind, uh, which is um, a, a little valley, a nice little valley, a cute little valley with the ocean at one end, mountains on either side, uh, which is protected from the toxic forest um, by the winds from the ocean. To either side of the valley are warmongering nations intent on destroying each other and the forest. And what they do is they, they do this by trying to utilize uh, an embryonic guardian robot that has not been seen for a thousand years, that back then were responsible for what they call the seven days of fire that leveled the earth and laid the foundation for the toxic forest. Nausicaa has this kind of unique communication and connection with the Omu, and is basically challenged to stop the warring nations who are the Tolmikians, the Tolmikians and the Pegites from basically destroying her, the forest and her valley. And that, is now the synopsis done um guys do you like this movie
1: <laughs> i liked it more than i thought i was going to i loved it i um knowing that it was the first one i thought it might be like kind of raw or undeveloped or anything like that and i really loved it from start to finish
2: yeah, I uh I really enjoyed the movie as well. Um I thought it had a lot of kind of callbacks to gosh, what was that movie? Um Fern Gully. Not yes, Fern Gully, correct. <laughs> um I guess it's not a callback technically. I guess Fern Gully copied it since Fern Gully came later in the 90s, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, but, yeah, um, kind of themes of Earth and, you know, preserving Earth, which were important. Um, another thing that I found quite curious, you know, I, and I think would inform a lot of what uh, this this was about was uh, kind of the Japanese reaction to the uh, atomic bombings and the use of kind of military mm. culture. And you see that kind of... In the film, I think, uh, which is kind of another topic we can talk about as well. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Also, I was thinking during the movie about kind of like maybe only 90s kids will remember, but being really scared of pollution (laughs) during the late 80s and early 90s. And how environmentalism is really different today, since we're all focused on climate change. But, like, when I was a little kid, which was in the late 80s and early 90s, I was very scared of the concept of pollution. And, like, Mm. that's what this movie and then Fern Gully that Ruben was talking about referenced. And, uh, yeah, I had a specific fear that landfills would cover the entire habitable surface of the earth. (laughs) Which I feel like is a very, like, fear of that time. (laughs)
0: so uh, it's interesting i the, i i thought of fern gully as well but i'm i mean i'm it's one that i'm not massively familiar with fern gully it's it's some it's one i haven't watched for, for probably about 30 years we're um, not
1: on it yet but princess mononoke is a lot like fern gully
0: oh uh, right yeah yeah nice well the one the, the 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 other cartoon that this reminded me of which again came after i mean this is uh all of these All of these things come after because because Miyazaki is a real trailblazer. Was I don't know if you guys know this one? It's called Phantom Twenty Forty.
2: Yes, I remember Phantom Twenty Forty from when I was a child. I used to love 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 it. I don't. Isn't it it. great?
0: Oh, you got to check it out, Jamie. It's fantastic.
1: Is it a cartoon? Yeah. Okay
0: it's brilliant and uh again set in this kind of dystopian world where pollution and uh, environmentalism has destroyed everything but the the super rich live in these kind of enormous kind of uh cityscapes mm-hmm. above like this 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 disgusting kind of wretched surface level where you know everyone else lives and there's this kind of balance between um the overgrown world that's trying to reclaim everything mm-hmm. and uh and you know, and the, the, the I don't know, the civilizations that people still kind of cling on to, which this kind of similar theme, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Um, I was reading a little bit about the history of Japanese environmentalism mm. and like the, the rise of the environmental movement. They are coincided with the same in the United States, like people seeing the industrial pollution in the 1960s. It sort of came to a boiling point. And then in the 70s and 80s, people shifted to um, like trying to protect things. But one notable thing that happened in the 80s around the time that this film was made is that there had been so much logging in Japan that they had to start importing timber from the West Coast of North America, like from British Columbia and California. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Like literally denuded the native trees from a lot of Japan. And that led to like a huge movement to protect Japanese forests and like a lot of public awareness about how policy actions could impact the environment around them.
0: Wow. Yeah. And there's um, there, there was an incident that inspired um, Miyazaki, inspired is probably not the right word, influenced him, um, which was the, the mercury pollution of um, Minamata Bay in the 50s and 60s mm. by the Chizo Corporation mm. Um which um which obviously is kind of one of a number of that either in Japan or global events yeah. that obviously touched Miyazaki quite considerably because cons- consistently through a lot of his movies are are, are these kind of themes right
3: mm-hmm.
0: now speaking of themes um we we had the idea that this podcast would be structured in some sort of way <laughs> Which was probably a smart idea, <laughs> and we thought what we would do is um, we would look at themes that run through uh, the the Ghibli movies to see to what degree or another one of these the- these themes uh, touched any individual movie. So I've got a couple, um, and uh, I'll throw one at you you guys right now. Maybe we can kind of toss these ones around. It's a bit of a giveaway because it's the title of our podcast. <laughs> and it's uh the balance between science and magic um this, this you know as we go through these movies we'll we'll discover i'm sure that each individual movie is either based in one of those things or the other or it's a combination of the two and it kind of fits more in on one side of the spectrum more on the other side of the spectrum and so i think what's what's going to be interesting is to see how that tracks through and, uh, and and in this movie in particular, it's, it's a little bit of both, I think.
2: Well, I think it is fascinating, the science and magic kind of working together, um, especially when you have, and I noticed this is kind of a theme throughout a lot of um, the Studio Ghibli movies, is kind of the flying machines. Everyone loves flying. Mm-hmm. They're always flying with flying machines. They're always kind of going around trying to save everything. Um the sky is such, like, an important theme, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got kind of, like, the sky as kind of, like, an area that's almost safe, I'd say, you know? But then you've also got the grounds. So that's actually a question I had. Why Why is it so often that, like, you have this valley. Yeah, it's the valley of the wind, the one down by the, um, uh, by the water that um, mm-hmm. she's in. Um, It's a nice, safe area. However, um, the sky, I think, is also considered kind of like this place that's supposed to be safe, you know, because that's how everyone uh, travels. So I think that's an interesting thing to kind of, you know, I guess, talk about like, you know, he has this seems to have this infatuation with the sky and flying and traveling.
0: Yeah, his dad, um, Miyazaki's father, was in the industry. He's He worked for a company that produced um, airplane parts. Ah, I see. So oh, I
1: didn't realize that.
0: Yeah. That's where that will come from. Gotcha. None um, of the
1: ships it, in this movie have landing gear, I notice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, except that there's one. You get one shot of the gunship. Yeah. Um. And it has these wheels, but it seems to be like because they're landing on water, they've flipped the wheels under mm. and it's landing on these what look like insect feet.
1: Oh, okay. They, I missed that one. And they one. skim
0: across the water. Yeah, I think I missed that too. Underneath. But again, that that kind of plays into the theme of another theme in this movie, which is the natural world, of course, right? And and the insects and the jungle mm-hmm. um, and um, and the environment. And that's obviously going to be a very, very... Um, Prevalent theme running as we've mentioned already running.
2: Well, the the thing that was super interesting to me was the spores. Remember the spores in the beginning? So you know Mm -hmm. she's in there and um, she's wearing kind of like a face covering. Apropos, Um, Mm -hmm. she's wearing a face covering and she's worried about getting poisoned. And you see the spores coming down. I think you know I've I've read several kind of essays about the impact of you know the the nuclear attacks on Japan. And you almost think Maybe. of that as kind of like fallout, you know? So, yeah. you know, that kind of desire to keep safe from that. Um, I think that that, along with the, the war machines, which I don't think we've brought up yet, but that kind of mm-hmm. um, fledgling war machine that they had been keeping uh, that they were going to use to wipe mm-hmm. out um, the insect creatures, I think that's a super fascinating, if not kind of, very uh obvious referral to kind of um maybe the u.s or maybe kind of like some kind of warring faction you know going out there and trying to fix everything with fighting and war and battle instead of you know what uh was doing which is trying to fix it by you know in more of a soft power kind of way um Mm -hmm. which i think probably carries through to a lot of uh miyazaki uh, films, you know that kind of theme of not trying to fix things with a hammer, but trying to fix it, you know, with with kind of soft power, consideration and compassion and exactly. understanding. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
0: figuring it out. And that was really interesting, wasn't it? To that Nausicaa is the one that's figured it out, right? She's she's done some experiments and she's worked through the science and she's figured out that actually there's, it's a big filtration system. It's and and the, the the sea of decay is what is actually keeping everyone alive it's what's actually Mm -hmm. giving everyone this clean air and the clean water that they enjoy
2: Mm -hmm. reminds me of um what's the there's another movie The is it castle in the sky that Mm -hmm. um or house moving it's not house moving castle i think it's castle in the sky where they have the castle itself that is kind of like floating that has at its center kind of the the nature and kind of the the core that's keeping everything alive yeah. in there. So, you know, it's got it's got also got those kind of like Final Fantasy vibes. I don't know if you all have played Final Fantasy, but <laughs> yeah. you know, it's got serious Final Fantasy vibes.
1: I feel like the uh the giant world destroying creature could maybe I mean you basically said this, but it could just be like a nuclear bomb. Um yeah. like Kashana towards the end says like i wrote down this quote because it was so good were you not designed to be the most evil creature on the face of the earth like Mm. it's a great thing to say to someone but also you know it's kind of like a bomb personified or a nuclear weapon personified
2: yeah especially when uh when they're attacking the insects are attacking and you kind of see um the the kind of fledgling uh world-destroying creature kind of out there and Mm -hmm. just shoots that uh that attack weapon out of its mouth, and it kind of just, um, you know, it looks like a nuclear explosion. I think. Yeah,
3: exactly.
1: Well,
0: and and there are two. He he fires twice before he dies. That's right. That's right. And falls yeah. apart. So you know those the those are the two bombs that um, you know that hit Japan. But the um, is that is that animism then, Jamie? Is that is that personifying? A, a, an object is that uh, the nuclear Not, weapons being made into. i don't think
1: that's form? animism quite but um hmm. uh there is a word for that <laughs> i'm gonna think of it it's like synecdoche or something like that
0: because hmm. i feel it. like that animism is also kind of you know something that that miyazaki in particular and i guess the other guys we shouldn't just say i shouldn't just say miyazaki because there are other contributors mm-hmm. uh, to the world of Studio Ghibli, which we'll get to, but animism plays a large part, you know, and, and you know, or anthropomorphizing, um, I yeah. guess, is potentially what that is. I don't know. But the <laughs> in this one, I mean, I kind of feel like even the wind has a character, is a character in this, you know, and mm-hmm. what I love, I mean, going back to that opening you guys mentioned earlier, I love the opening of this movie. It is so atmospheric. Mm-hmm. When when Lord Yuper is going in that very first scene into that house, which is so decayed and, and overtaken, and that little doll crumbles, mm-hmm. and it's just you know for for me this one is a little odd in that you know the this is supposed to be I guess the real world this is our world mm-hmm. it's just a long time, a long way in the future um, a lot of a lot of the other Studio Ghibli movies of course are either in a completely fictionalized universe. Of their own right um or they're grounded in reality like this one and like like graveyard of the fireflies mm-hmm. etc
2: is this one supposed to take place in the real world like this is supposed to take place here like now on I earth kind
0: of thought, i kind of thought, i think so
2: so yeah okay. i kind of thought so
0: it wasn't a, a specific location like some of them are mm-hmm. so maybe it was a kind of a fictionalized earth but it, but it was it was grounded in some sort of reality and, you know, in terms of the physics. And, you know, there aren't magicians flying around, right? There's, there are people who have kind of, and this kind of gets to where this one is on the science and magic spectrum, I guess. For me, this is much more heavily science-based. There's an element of magic in the, you know, in the characters like Obaba who has some sort of weird kind of foresight and spiritual connection to the earth. Mm-hmm. Even Nausicaa herself, right, has connections to the Omu. the insects she can calm them down she can kind of talk to them a little bit um they obviously have a very big connection with her and what what plays out in the final scene yeah the Um, prophecy
3: Mm -hmm.
0: indeed indeed so you know that's the magical element but what what i really really liked as well was a scene where it's like it's pre-dawn and some some guy runs up and knocks on nausicaa's door gets her out of bed gets her up onto the tower because one of the guys who's on guard that night senses something in the wind Mm -hmm. right and i love that because they live in this windy valley and they're just so connected with the wind they can sense a slight change or shift or smell whatever it is Mm -hmm. and and then the three of them are there looking out and then lord yupa comes up and it's norse again she spots something up there light and that's when they see the big ship coming down i just love that the they're so ingrained with their environment Mm -hmm.
2: i love it and I think that's why they were so upset when uh, everyone started coming over there to uh, to kind of invade. They were like, why don't you just leave us alone? You know, we wanted to be left alone right. here, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. It's also like the town is really interesting. I was trying to think of a good term for it because it's kind of like medieval steampunk. Or mm-hmm. like, I came up with like trebuchet punk. <laughs> um, or plague <laughs> yeah. punk was a suggestion from um, a friend. Amazing but, you know, the, name for the, the a band.
4: <laughs> uh, yes.
1: the people in the valley are like very medieval to me um you guys know this but our listeners might not which is that i have a background in archaeology and when you see uh nausica's father and his armor is in the building it looks like the mm. armor of the sutton who burial from anglo-saxon mm. england or right. like post-roman england um and, you know, all the people in the town, they have, like, a castle, and they have these windmills, and their attire is very medieval-looking. And then mm. the ship, which represents a very different kind of time period, suddenly, like, crashes into it.
0: Well, I was, I was going to say what's really interesting, then, about that about the ships that turn up is that they look really kind of ancient as well, don't they? They they mm-hmm. kind of don't look nice and shiny and modern and new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when... when when he was making this in the eight in the early eighties, you know we were talking about kind of jumbo jets and such, Concorde flying across the the Atlantic, but these are like really old, kind of anciently decrepit, big, huge, monolithic things. Yeah. Um, and and I guess you know that's that's the juxtaposition, isn't it, between the kind of basic uh, medieval people of the valley and then the 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 tech the technologically advanced and very commas people of the of the warring nations to either side Mm -hmm. and so which you know which is it's pretty obvious which one um miyazaki's you know extolling as being (laughs) being virtuous
1: yeah it's very clear whose side he is on (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah but you know what one the thing that i love most well i love that that scene i just described i love that they're so in tune with the wind but I also love that they go they went and knocked on nausica's door they she's the one right mm-hmm. they all love her, but she's got so much agency in this movie and I love that's the thing I think I love most about this movie is her and the agency she has and the love she's the respect that she's got of her people they just adore her so much,
1: yeah, yeah, and it always oh, it feels like earned too. It's not like she's just like a magical princess who they love because she's beautiful. She's actually like very skillful and brave and yeah.
3: Right.
0: She's not just the daughter of the king.
1: Yeah. I also like how when she gets mad, her hair gets really big. (laughs) (laughs) I would like that ability. (laughs) Not like a
0: defensive (laughs) thing. It's just like you, you make your head bigger, look, appear bigger.
1: I mean, that's how I feel when I'm getting mad. Like, I feel like,
3: you
2: know, so. <laughs> yeah. I did get kind of, uh, when we were talking about, like, the location and kind of the the medieval weaponry versus, like, you know, how uh, how they have, like, these highly technical flying machines. I got super, like, Spanish vibes out of this. I got, like, Don mm. Quixote vibes. I got Spain mm, vibes. Yeah, windmills, all the windmills, the medieval armor. Um, does Lord Yupa play
0: into that as well, Ruben?
2: Yeah, a little bit. Yup, yep, he does, absolutely.
3: Yeah. Uh, Everybody
1: has these incredible mustaches, too.
3: Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah,
1: those all mustaches. The men just have these, like. <laughs> and you see those. Walrus mustaches. <laughs> you see
2: those <laughs> carry on throughout the rest of his movies, I think, mm. as well. Mm. Um, a lot of them. They remind me a lot of the. Uh, Of the pirates, um, I think in um, uh, what was the other film with the pirates? Uh, was that a castle in the sky when the girl falls from the uh, from the ground? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great that's our next movie, I think, isn't it?
2: I think so, yeah,
0: I think so, yeah. Uh, I think Lord Yupa is what these days people would call a daddy.
1: i love to see where man. he's like jumping and one of the uh i can't remember which soldier knows, right. but the soldier's like this guy's tough yes <laughs>
0: exactly um let, can we talk about religion for yeah. a sec yeah sure um no politics the,
1: the, though
0: no uh <laughs> no politics but religion is is going to be talked about i guess by a fair bit across these movies um various different religions too i mean the, the the valley people um they pray to their god of the wind um is my sense their kami in mm-hmm. japanese um but we never see any gods in this movie kind of as i said before it's not really a magical mystical movie in that sense although there is i believe i think there is kind of mysticism and there is an element of that but that comes through in the by the omu right i think yeah um in, but in the, So in the end, kind of Nausicaa is resurrected by the, 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 the quasi-divine Omu, mm-hmm. um, which obviously has very obvious religious overtones, the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also prophesied. We've mentioned that prophecy before. She's prophesized, right? She, um, she does things like she breathes without a mask and she doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Um, she has this special insight in connection with the Omu um who are themselves kind of like deities of the forest um and then right at that final shot of the movie life sp- sprouts forth from where her helmet dropped in this zone below the forest so for me there are really strong religious overtones christian overtones in this movie did you guys kind of did you pick up on any of those or, or did you lean more into the 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 kami and the, the japanese religious side jamie
1: um, I lean more into the, yeah, the Shinto, like, belief in every living thing has a spirit to it, an animating spirit to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Though I did the scene where sh- you first meet Nausicaa and you see her finding the body of the Omu. Mm, that scene, scene is very, like, cathedral. Yeah, the shed exoskeleton of it. It, yeah. it reminded me of, like you know her being in a cathedral and like the lighting is very stained glass mm-hmm. and that kind of thing mm-hmm.
2: but for the most yeah.
1: part I didn't yeah I I like your take Neil it's not what I thought of but I like it
2: yeah I think Neil you bring up like a really good point that it is kind of especially the resurrection part like that part where she gets kind of resurrected by the Onu is the Onu mm-hmm. right with the gold tentacles yeah. uh, that she's yeah. seen there I think that's that has super strong Christian overtones. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm not as up on my uh, far eastern religions or Shintoism. But is there kind of like a resurrection myth or a resurrection kind of theory in Shintoism? I'm looking at you, Jamie.
1: Um, I'm not sure about in Shintoism, but uh, Buddhism obviously has obviously. a big mm-hmm. influence mm-hmm. in Japanese culture as well, which resurrection is central to. In a very different way than in Christianity, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I can't. I, I'm not a mm. chateau expert, but I can't think of any resurrections. Why not, stories. Jamie? Get on <laughs> <it>. I know. <laughs> I'm working on it, guys.
0: But this one, I think, what's going to be interesting, also, talk, kind of still talking about the themes that we're going to see through these movies, is religion, and we'll see. We'll see how you know some of them won't have any at all some will have will be steeped in it Mm -hmm. um so that's something that we can kind of keep an eye out
2: for also i I think we i don't know if we're going to touch on this a little later but we should kind of think about the the time that this film was made this was kind of the early Mm -hmm. 80s i guess um and we talked about a little bit with um You know, how people were worried about kind of smog. I mean, we all remember smog in the 70s in LA, Mm -hmm. which was terrible. Uh, Japan was having a renaissance, you know, like buildings were going up. It was the early 80s. But also, kind of like the maybe the political and kind of historical significance of, you know, people were living under threat of, you know, we could get nuked at any time. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. the world could end at any time. It was a completely realistic possibility. So I think kind of you know placing the the film in that world and in that time period is also kind of a it's an important way to look at it as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah the I, Cold I, War. Absolutely. Forgot yeah, about I,
0: that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know one one thing that doesn't fit for me. Um, j- sorry, go, I, I guess going back to the to nature. Uh, and the environment. One thing that doesn't fit for me, and I'm really keen to hear your views on this, is is, um, is kind of nausica's Nor- perhaps naive view. And Ruben, you mentioned this. You touched on this earlier. Perhaps her naive view that that nature will find a way to correct the pollution of humans, right? Mm-hmm. And that we can rely on it to do so. So let's not let's not destroy the forest. Let's not do anything. Nature will nature will deal with it obviously not obviously that's um this is this is a big issue today right mm-hmm. much much bigger and more mm-hmm. and more kind of uh in people's minds than it was back in the 80s mm-hmm. um it's quite pressured yeah. though
3: yeah
0: yeah it's much more pressured now than it was then it's a pity people didn't realize the same thing back then but uh you know it's just the times mm-hmm. um but obviously that's uh, but i mean Right now, we've got kind of one side going against the science, right, and believing that 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 it's the science isn't isn't real. You don't need to listen to the science; it's just nature, right? And and that's the way it is. And if it's global warming, it's global warming, and that you know the the planet will find its way. Mm-hmm. On the other side, believing that humans need to change their behavior and looking at the science and and understanding what what the science is showing you. And I don't know. I mean, you know, it. I'm I, I'm, as a scientist myself, I'm very much on the scientist side and, you know, want to want to understand what's happening and what the effect that the, that humans have on the planet. And I kind of think that Nausicaa is also trying to do that. But at the same time, she's kind of, um, well, I mean, she has her own science lab, doesn't she? And she's actually doing that very thing. But at the same time, she's, in a, in a way, in my mind, she's also kind of like, you know, just let's leave it let nature will, will sort itself out. And I'm not sure that do, are those two, two things incongruous or am I, am I beating down the wrong track here?
2: I don't think they're mutually exclusive. It, it reminds me of a, of a book I read called The World Without Us. I think it's actually sitting on this bookshelf right behind me over here. Mm. Um, but um, in The World Without Us, basically, it talks about what would happen if humans all of a sudden disappeared like just gone, left. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this scientist's assertion was that, you know, actually quite quickly nature would heal itself if humans kind of just got out of the way, you know, and that they if they stopped doing what they were doing to destroy nature, um, you know, then nature would heal itself um, and that we'd actually be shocked how quickly nature would kind of take over cities, take over other areas that we otherwise try to keep out. I mean, even even taking into account what's happening now. All right, so there's been like a huge reduction in traffic right around here in Washington, DC. What's Mm -hmm. happened is deer, um, other wildlife have gotten very aggressive um, about coming like inside Mm -hmm. like, you know, the beltway. I've seen deer, I live right in Capitol Hill. There's there's deer walking down the street. Like it's absolutely crazy. So I'm not sure if that's really getting to your point, Neil, about whether it's kind of a thing about, you know, nature healing itself. But, um, you know, nature taking over like that, you know, I I think is a thing that that can, that, that you know, it can be shown to be kind of true, Jamie. I, I don't know if you agree with me on that. I know you have strong views on this. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I, I think that is a good point. The thing I want to... To add is that well, two things. First of all, when I lived in Washington DC in college, um, I had a friend who used to make me walk her past Rock Creek Park because she was scared of aggressive deer. <laughs>
2: it's a thing here.
1: But they were confined to the park at that time. So I'm excited to hear they're out. <laughs> yeah. Uh but the other thing I was gonna say that um I think it's a very modern construction to even separate the ideas of science and magic. Um and to try to separate, like, human creation from nature. And so a religion like Shintoism or the, like, medieval world that's harkened back to the people in the Valley of the Wind wouldn't have that division in their belief system. Um, They would just consider human life to be part of nature. And so Mm. it's... I think that might be why nausicaa thinks the way that she does you know that she's a part of the system not Mm. acting like outside of it or in opposition to it
0: and i guess we just don't see it but maybe maybe she she is either either trying to influence the you know the the civilizations around her that are obviously having this or or kind of going back towards this industrialization i mean you don't have these big giant airplanes without that right um but we don't obviously see that but maybe or maybe she just doesn't have the influence she's just there in the valley and they don't really know her or care about her Mm -hmm. Uh, she's just doing her bit right she's just there she's trying to figure out what what it's about but i guess then she then does try and defend the sea of decay she does try and stop them from destroying it i guess that's the you know obviously <laughs> the major plot line of the movie so yeah i guess she's not just being passive about it is she she is trying to do the right thing and get and steer people in the direction that the that nature is trying to nature is trying it's it's mm-hmm. i look i get i kind of rambling at it but i guess but i guess the where where it kind of maybe doesn't quite fit for me is that this the sea of decay is uh, is my understanding is that it's slowly taking everything over mm-hmm. right and it's going to just basically consume the world maybe apart from the valley because it's protected by the wind right and yeah and kushana's um kushana's mission is to stop that right right because she wants to protect her people right so but what she, is she is she wrong is she wrong to try and do
1: that but she is also like an expansionist force She's a colonizer, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's coming to take over the Valley of the Wind.
0: Yes. Whereas, but she just wants to talk. She did murder the king, but she, as she, she says, she, she just wants to, wants to talk.
1: talk. She just wants to talk. <laughs> there was some
2: the regicide there, for sure.
1: <laughs> she is like definitely the inspiration for Captain Phasma, right? Yes. <laughs> like 100%. That's right. But uh, I think that Nausicaa is like trying to act with nature. Because she sees herself Mm -hmm. as part of it. You know, like she, I think her way forward at the end of the movie is to work with the OMU to Mm -hmm. stop pollution from spreading over the whole earth.
2: But nature kills her in the end, does it not?
1: And then resurrects her. (laughs)
2: Fair, fair. Death death is part of
1: life.
0: (laughs) But uh, under, under Nausicaa's plan, does that mean the end of the Pegite? and um, the Tomekians in, in her in, in, in Nausicaa's plan is the forest not just going to continue the toxic forest to, to overrun everything except the valley
2: well I think they're supposed to be living in concert with it aren't they like trying to yeah. figure out a way to live with it because the poison isn't coming from the forest itself necessarily it's you know the, the, the bad forest you know if that makes any sense at least that's the vibe I got I don't know. Yeah. Okay.
1: And because you know, she and Shia LaBeouf, whatever his name is, Osbel, (laughs) like visit the place where the forest is being purified, and then she has like her own scientific experiments to stop the the forest from being poisonous. So I think that's okay.
0: Yeah. So her plan is then to kind of um, to let the Tolmekians and the Pejite understand the things that she's discovered. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like she's a lot further there with the Pejite, who seem a bit more mm-hmm. open to it anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, I get it. I get it. So she's she she's done her, her own work and understood what needs to happen, and now she's just extolling that to everyone else. Yeah. yeah so they can survive too. Okay.
1: There's not really a good place to mention this, because uh, it's kind of a one-off thought, but one other thing that felt very 1980s to me is the quicksand, which was, of course, a major fear of oh children in the 80s.
2: I definitely thought I was going to die because of quicksand in the me 80s. Too. It was a thing. Yes. <laughs> Why? I didn't get this.
1: Oh, because of the movie *The Neverending Story*.
2: Yep. yep. Oh. That horse.
1: The horse. Yep.
2: Oh my Scarred god! For life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like so many movies in the eighties and nineties have quicksand as a plot development.
4: That's true. I thought I would
1: encounter it so much more in my life, but I never have.
0: Oh, I'm sure we, I'm sure it'll get you one day, Jamie, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming for you. Yeah. Um, one thing that speaking of the eighties, one thing that um in fact I think the only thing that dates this movie for me is some of the music. Now, don't get me wrong, right? I as as if you if you're a listener of of one of my other of my other podcast, the Mogwai Minute, um, <laughs> you'll know that I'm a fan of the eighties, love the eighties, love a synth. Mm-hmm. Now there's there is some especially synth heavy sections yes. of the score here, and I love it, but boy does it date this movie a little bit.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: Do you think this? Do you think they need? Do you think it would benefit from being re-scored, this movie, or or should should we take the Miyazaki, no cut, don't touch it, and leave it exactly how it is?
2: I mean, the I think I think there's something not like cute, but like it definitely I think adds something to it because I don't think it's wrong to have the movie dated a bit, you know? It's yeah. um you know, it places it in a, in a time period, it places it in the eighties, which helps, I think, to add context to how you understand the film. You know, if the film were kind of, if it was a modern adaptation, you know, it'd be, you know, avatar or something, you know, or like, you know, it'd have a different vibe where people would understand it differently. But like I said, I think what we're doing, what we're doing to kind of like help the public here when they finally (laughs) hear this podcast, um, which is a public service, obviously, um, Hmm. is to kind of like place it within the time period. You know, it's important to look at all those context clues about, you know, the worries about the cold war, the worries about nuclear annihilation, kind of looking back and thinking about like, you know, what had happened in Japan up to that point and the massive explosion of kind of wealth and growth, um, that Japan um, and Tokyo, in specific, was kind of experiencing during that time period.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I kind of like it, and I mm-hmm. I love Joe Hisaishi. I think he is oh, yeah. absolutely brilliant. When I need to when I need to read, I put on a couple of his albums. It's great, wonderful reading music. Um, you know, I think he's iconic, and his sound is iconic. Almost kind of like a John Williams is iconic. You know.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't change it. I mean, I wrote notes that were like, mm. <laughs> my first, no, my second note is, this soundtrack is kind of weird.
2: And then, like, oh. later on,
1: I said, oh, the music <laughs> is still wild. But literally, literally, my
2: second note here is, love, Joe Hisashi.
1: Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know very much about it, but presumably the animation style is also pretty 1980s, like... I wouldn't want to change, you know, the music and suddenly have this super, you know, 2020 music over that animation.
2: I think the animation style, though, is consistent kind of across a lot of his movies. Now, obviously, they're like, you know, the the Yamamoto's one. That's kind of like a different kind of off in left field. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I would say it's not so much changed other than maybe, you know, a little less rough around the edges in Spirited Away, yeah. for example. Yeah. It's the same general kind of hand-drawn style. Now, is, is it is it still hand-drawn, yeah. Neil? Do you know? Oh, yeah.
0: It is? Okay. All of it. Oh, wow. All of it. Okay. Every cell. Every single cell. That's amazing. Which is, which is amazing, right? Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It's consistent for Miyazaki's films because that's Miyazaki's manga style. That's his art. That's his, art. That's mm-hmm. his style. So if you look at his manga... Um, it, it looks, it's just got a very familiar, I guess, I guess when you look at any one individual's manga, it's, it's characteristic of that person or it's, it's. Recognizable throughout their career. Um, Miyazaki's looks as you'd imagine it, it looks like a studio Ghibli movie. Like the, it looks like his studio Ghibli movies, Mm -hmm. um. And that's how he wants them to be made, right? If the the one that I have, the the, the it's probably not called mat, it's not manga. It's uh, what is it? It's probably just a little comic book. It uh, Probably is that is what manga is, isn't it? Um, I'm from you'll you'll this this story that I'm about to tell you. When I discovered this, I was blown away. <laughs> this is about Miyazaki. I can't. I could not believe it. So I'm I'm from a um, a town up in the northeast of England um, called Tynemouth, which is it is a not really a, town, a village right on the mouth of the River Tyne, hence the name Tynemouth. The city of Newcastle, which is the most northerly city in England, is about eight miles inland, ten miles inland on the Tyne. I'm right on the coast. Now Miyazaki visited Tynemouth. Really, he went from Japan to Tynemouth. Because one of his favorite authors is a chap called Robert Robert Wessel. And Robert Westall is from North Shields, which is right next to Time Earth. So he went and visited the birthplace, in the town of his of his favorite authors. And Robert Westall is um kind of a pulpy World War II fiction, you know, Biggles type kind of mm-hmm. uh hero uh fiction author. And um Miyazaki just loved his books. Hmm. And you know, it's all about the it's all about the RAF and planes and such. And what, so when he was there, he was there for a few days and he just sketched a load of scenes and stuff. And when he got back to Japan, he he drew a comic, he drew a manga, um called A Trip to Time Earth. And it's all about um I've got and I've got a copy of it and I've got a um an English translated version of it, which is pretty hard to find. And it's really, it's a, it, When I look at it, I can see exactly. I can see time because he's drawn it perfectly as it, as it is. Mm-hmm. And it's it's about a, a, a pig man, right? Because it's Miyazaki. It sounds like Porco uh, exactly, in time Out, remembering stories from when he was um, when he was a child, and story, and it's interspersed with stories, um, Robert Westall style, about this bomber. As uh, B-52 bomber on a mission in World War II um, I'll, I'll send it to you guys because I've got a soft copy uh, and it's absolutely wonderful the fact that Miyazaki had visited Time Earth I just kind of couldn't believe it
1: that's like a perfect combination of Neil interests <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is that is actually so perfect, wow Yeah. I couldn't that's believe
1: delightful it.
0: yeah so any other thoughts on, on Nausicaa
1: um, I have a few so mm. one of them is that the name Nausicaa is from the Odyssey and mm. in Greek yes. it means burner of ships mm. which was very interesting and I noticed right. that the opening of the movie like the not the first thing that happens but like mm-hmm. the credits are over what looks like a Greek mosaic
0: that's right Yeah, nice. cool. and the
1: whole
2: prophecy is also kind of a over that Greek mosaic. Yeah. It's Greek mosaic style.
1: Yeah. I'm just yeah. looking at my notes. Oh, one, I feel like the little fox squirrel that she gets is uh, <laughs> direct inspiration for Momo in Avatar The Last Airbender.
2: Or Eevee oh.
3: in uh,
2: Pokemon.
1: Or Pokemon Eevee. I, yep.
0: I literally wrote, this is the uncredited invention of Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and then the, the last thing I wrote, which is just apropos of absolutely nothing, is that not having seen the movie before, when the ship crashed and Nazuka rescued uh, the princess, mm. I thought there was a lot of sexual tension in that scene, and then you when would Jamie, yeah. yeah. I would. know I would, obviously, Jesus. Uh, two attractive women together, and then when I found out Estrel died because like no one said it, I was like, obviously her and Nazuka are going to hang out together for the rest of this movie. Uh. No. There is, a, <laughs>
0: you're absolutely right, because she starts to kind of unbutton her top. Right. And then stops, or yep. for some reason pauses and then buttons it up again. Yep. So yeah, I totally got that too. Yeah. Um. Also, quite a, quite a bold move to kill the princess, yeah. the Pegite princess, in your first 10 minutes of your movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't see that coming.
1: Yeah, I really thought she was going to be a bigger character, like she was... You know, being nursed back to health in the castle or something. Yeah. <laughs> so nope. dead. Dead. Yep.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> when um, so so I I watched this one. You guys, so you, you mentioned earlier that you guys had not seen this one. Mm-hmm. Um, there will there be? Because I I think I've I think I've seen them all um over the years, although some many years ago um so i'm i'm looking forward to kind of watching each as we as we kind of get to them this one is one of those i hadn't really watched Nausicaa for a long time um i probably watched it i don't know maybe i would probably say would 10 years ago since i since i saw it and then what i did for this one for the recording i i watched the english dub uh the disney version right and then i read a bit did notes read, did research and then I watched the Japanese language with English subtitles because hmm. it's not the same. Okay. The, the movie is the same, but the, 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 the subtitles are not the same as the dub because um, it's an interpretation, right? The dub is, a, is an interpretation just as the subtitles are. And of course, when you interpret one language to another, it's not always the same. Mm-hmm. Um, hence, you get Sea of Decay in the subtitles, but you get the Toxic Forest in the, in the Disney version just one of many little slight differences
1: that's interesting
0: yeah so i thought i would do the same on each movie and i thought i would try and kind of see if i preferred one o- over the other this this one i didn't really prefer massively one over the other i think disney did a good job on the english dub did you guys did you what did you think of it of disney's dub
2: i thought the dub was fine um yeah you know they had a couple of they didn't have too many big name actors i I listened to or I've watched on your recommendation, Neil actually, uh Porco Rosso. Um oh boy. With the uh with the American dub and I just <laughs> cannot, man. Like no. I'm gonna have to rebox really that. It's what's his name as Porco Rosso? Um Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Who I like. Yeah. yeah I like him as well. Yeah, I might when when we rewatch it. I'm mm-hmm. going to watch the Japanese version. Um, but no, yeah. I thought the dubbing was was fine in this. Um, and I think there's almost kind of like not a culture around dubbing Japanese films in English, but it's a it's a thing, you know. Like if you look at like mm-hmm. most extreme challenge, you know, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, although I totally get what you're saying because I. I speak enough Spanish and French, um, and obviously I speak Romanian. But I speak enough Spanish and French that you know when I'm watching a movie that is like a French or Spanish movie, and it's um, there's subtitles on it. I can Mm. I can hear the Spanish and French. I'm like, well, it's not exactly what they're saying. That's not the vibe. Like maybe that's what they're saying, but that's not what Mm -hmm. they're. That's not the gist of what they're saying. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, god it, it makes me wish i i could speak japanese because i feel like it would be <laughs> such a better you know no for real understanding of mm-hmm. what it was being sent and kind of the the subtext of everything because i think there's probably a very rich subtext especially in mm-hmm. such a high level film you know yeah. and such a high level director and such great writing you know probably not going to get that kind of subtext and like you know terminator or something but you know you're <laughs> you're going to get it in something that is a lot more delicate like uh like a Miyazaki film you know
3: well well we'll
0: it'll be a few months until we wrap this uh this podcast up ruben so
1: i got, I've got some time on get on japanese yeah, yeah. all right you got some right. time I'll, I'll work on it, get on it. i've I'll heard it's it. an easy one just knock it out easy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i i want to give a shout out to one actor on the dub mm. actually um, yeah, whose name I don't know. I just know he was Prince Humperdinck mm. in the Princess Bride, I go and he's Humperdink. Kuratawa, who's uh, Kashana's like second in command or whatever. Oh yeah, the I thought he was hilarious. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> he was good. Yeah, <laughs> he was, was good. This? He's um, Kashana, who's Uma Thurman, uh, the yeah. evil princess. He is her second in command.
0: The guy with the funny thing in his hair, yeah. with, like the weird hair hair band.
1: He my favorite line is when um the like world destroying machine is like first cranking up. He looks at it and he's like totally shocked and he goes, Amazing. No wonder the world was incinerated. Like that's just a great line. <laughs>
0: and he's he he expresses a little kind of sarcastic disdain when when he realizes that Kishana is not dead. Yep. Yeah. because uh, he thought he yeah, was gonna be that, yeah. promoted or whatever. I just I really enjoyed his voice yeah.
1: acting. I thought he he was good. Made his, his lines very funny.
0: Yeah, my favorite, um, not surprisingly to to people that know me, is uh, Lord Jooper, mm-hmm. uh played by the one and only Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. I thought he was brilliant.
2: Yeah, I didn't realize that was Patrick Stewart going in, and I was like, man, this guy sounds mm-hmm. just like Patrick Stewart. And then I looked <laughs> it up, and I was like, yep, oh, that's, that's Patrick Stewart. That's why it sounds <laughs> just like Patrick Stewart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't know the 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 girl the lady who plays nausicaa Alison Lohman.
1: i yeah i think she's been is in a few she, things i had seen but i didn't uh, recognize her
3: no i, I recognize I,
1: shia labeouf immediately. immediately shia labeouf is
0: the prince right yeah the, the Pegite prince
1: yeah asbel, asbel
0: yeah and then mark mark hamill is in this as the mayor of Pegites. So oh
1: really? Well, Mark
2: Thorell is in several of these movies. He's in oh, several right. uh, English Dubs. I think he's in. I don't know if he's in Polka Rosso, but he. I think he's in the Castle in the Sky for sure. So he's in several yeah. of these Dubs. Oh, he does I a love lot him. Of
0: the voice acting, yeah. And I don't know who, which character is that? The mayor of Pecheyte? Is that when?
1: I, that might be that the one. Um, isn't Pecheyte where Asbel is from? Yeah. And so when they go back to his town and it's destroyed right they have a conversation with a official looking guy in front of their ship and I think that might be him
0: oh wow that's a very brief scene yeah that's a lot of money for Mark Hamill <laughs> <laughs> I and you know what I can't let this go without mentioning that I don't know, I don't know who this character is the character's name is Gall. it's uh, it, the English dub actor is Frank Welker the, the voice of Megatron. Oh. And I, I just, he, he, was, he was also the voice of, of Stripe the Gremlin. And, uh, <laughs> oh
2: my God. Oh my, oh my God, that was
0: And I was, a, I was a massive Transformers fan. As, as any listener to the Mogwai Minute uh, will know, I'm a big Transformers fan and Frank Welker is one of my heroes. So I just thought I'd name drop him.
1: I'm it's trying amazing. to figure out who this character was that he I don't
0: know. Gall. I'm going to Google oh, it right now.
1: Oh, Frank Welker was born in Colorado.
0: There you go. Gall. <laughs> Nausicaa. I'm going to Google yeah. it now. No. You
1: should probably edit this part.
0: Probably will. Fix it in person. Images. The
1: Googling. <laughs> While you're looking that up, we had oh. talked about...
0: Oh, did you figure it oh. out? Oh. oh, he's the guy... He's the guy who senses the wind. He's he's the guy on the rooftop that senses oh. the wind is changing. Oh, yeah. And he's one of yeah. the hostages. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, right. He's the one with a big bushy gray beard. That doesn't narrow it down. It does
2: <laughs> not narrow it down. Not
1: That's a good every man film. in the
0: valley <laughs> yeah. of the wind. <laughs> They're the born the and one day later they them. have a giant gray mustache. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. what what One of my notes that uh, we didn't get to is is... Is on the animism point we mentioned. It, I mentioned it earlier. What well, the, their masks look very dog-like. Hmm. They look to me, mm-hmm. or to me, that's what I took. They look yes. like kind of. They've got these big droopy kind of things on the side. Mm-hmm. Um Just to cover the maybe, the, maybe that's what I'm thinking. It now you mention it, that's what it is. You You've got to get that big bush in there. Um, but that, you know, the... <laughs> I think you've, I think that is actually it. That's called <laughs> open. I had, an, I had an intellectual comment to make, but I've just been <laughs> usurped by the fact that you're absolutely right, We're children. It is just to get the mustache in there. I actually, because <laughs> of the shape
1: of the mask, I think I had just seen like a still from the start of the movie, and I thought it was about dogmen for a long time.
0: There you go. I, there so, is, it is dog-like, isn't it? It's oh, very dog-like. My, right. Um, like a basset hound kind of droopy. Yeah yeah
1: also has special resonance for me in a time when i've been wearing a mask a lot
0: mm-hmm. well that's right yeah i was going to mention that as well as you know the the prevalence of mask wearing in this movie is quite prescient
1: mm-hmm. uh, uh, very very apropos of watching this yeah mm-hmm. our toxic environment
0: i think we should get nausicaa masks guys
1: that'd be cool yeah
2: that would yeah. be cool actually
0: I'll be it for that. that.
2: I do always think whenever I watch a Studio Ghibli movie that um, a Halloween costume, like a group Halloween costume would be amazing for any Studio Ghibli uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, just unreal.
1: Yeah.
0: Nice. Spirited away.
2: Yeah, spirited away for sure. Yeah.
1: Have you guys seen the meme of the little girl in a classroom in Japan who's dressed as the black and white spirit?
0: Oh no. And no. she's she's just
1: like a little five-year-old girl and all the kids around her are crying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll have to find Brilliant. this and send it to you. It's very it's amazing. good. Fantastic. Yes.
0: What I would like to get, I think, from you guys is an idea of how much you like this one.
2: Yeah, especially as kind of I know it's not obviously his first effort, but like you know, as kind of something new and novel, you know, in in the way he was telling stories as the first Studio Ghibli movie, I think it's it's, mm-hmm. it's quite strong. Um, it's got good mm-hmm. themes. It's got good characters that you kind of like want to follow. The um, the the thing is like, and this is common in a lot of his films, and it's very progressive. I think is. Strong female characters, um, yeah, if you watch Disney movies, they just have literally the worst morals in the world. They are awful um, <laughs> but yeah. you know you have the, you have a strong female lead um, I, I think it's I think it's a very very strong movie um, i I really enjoyed it though
1: mm-hmm. so, you know because uh Papa Mickey owns everything this the dub is a Disney dub. And you no. can buy the DVD from Disney, so this is technically a Disney movie. Gross. They all,
0: yeah, Gross. D- Disney. But it's not on Disney, Disney Plus. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't remember when Disney got involved in them, but they when they did, mm-hmm. they then retrospectively dubbed all of them, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then from that point did all of them from there foot there, there on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they are. They're not Disney movies. <laughs> I, I, I would not. I would not put go that far, but, um, Disney helped out and also, um, um, Pixar helped out on, um, on making the, the, the mouth movements fit a bit better to the Disney dub. So Disney, Disney Mm. do the kind of the voice work and hire all these, these expensive actors Mm -hmm. and then obviously get some sort of distribution rights or whatever in North America and Europe. And then they get they hired Pixar to well I guess they own Pixar. So Pic so Pixar and who's the chap that the who's the Pixar chap, the main guy?
2: Oh, um, I don't know. I forgot his Not name. Sure,
0: yeah. Not important. Yeah. Um he Pixar he, guy, Joe Pixar. He Yeah, Bobby Pix, Bobby Pix. <laughs> uh he um he's he know he him and Miyazaki are obviously contemporaries, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they have some sort of some sort of relationship. Although, um, if you if you know anything about Miyazaki, that would be a really weird thing to say. Yeah. Um, but the um he but yeah, Pixar kind of took the animation bit and made the voice made the mouths fit a bit better. Okay. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, that is interesting
0: the only one the my only note that we didn't really get to is my I had another theme I had another kind of theme for discussion right and it and it's appropriate with the disney discussion
3: mm.
0: which is barriers to entry and exit of of any given movie right how easy or hard does the movie make it for the audience to get into it and to get involved or to leave it mm. which are two very different things right mm-hmm. but I guess the point being that Disney go out of their way to make very low barriers, right? You can just, you can put a Disney movie in front of a, a three-year-old and they'll still, they'll love it. Um, everything is laid out and explained to you and mapped out and, you know, mm-hmm. you you won't be in any, there's no ambiguity. You won't be in any uh, discomfort at any point. Mm-hmm. You'll know exactly what's going on. Um, whereas, whereas Studio Ghibli take the opposite approach And have very high barriers to to entry and to exit. And this movie in particular, I think, you know, with there's a cold open, there's a bit of explanation uh, in by way of text, which is very brief, Mm -hmm. and then you're straight into it, and you've you've got to figure out what's going on. And actually, what we don't see at the start, um, before, so before the movie starts, the pegites have discovered this embryonic. Uh, monster Mm -hmm. right they found it and it was buried beneath their city we don't see any of this then um the Tolmikians have in have have sent uh i don't know like a a hit squad or something to steal it and they've stolen it they've somehow got it on a ship uh this big huge embryo thing and they're trying to get it back to Tolmikia. We don't see any of that. All we see is the Valley of the Wind, the Valley People, and then the ship with mm-hmm. the embryo on it crashing. We've just got to figure all that out. And that's quite tough. Yeah. It took me a little you know, it the that, that that watch through that I did with the English dub, the first one, to prep for this, I kinda hadn't remembered all that and and then it took me really the second watch with the Japanese dub to actually Oh yeah, so that has all happened. Yeah, and we didn't didn't see it. So that is the that is the high that for me is a pretty high barrier to entry.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of uh the original Star Wars, which is very much like mm. that at the beginning. You know, the first like half hour of that movie, you're really trying to figure out what's going on.
2: And I think that's yeah. fine. I actually I I enjoyed that because you're you're that kind of spoon fetting. You have to kind of mm-hmm. like understand things on your own. And that's it's nice, you know? Um mm-hmm. especially as kind of like a uh As a filmmaker, um, (laughs) it's, uh, good to kind of be able to, you know, drop someone into a story without having a lot of exposition, which, you know, can be kind of like rough and messy and it kind of can almost ruin the experience because you spend this time like trying to catch your audience up on this stuff you don't care about and you don't really want to like get them through, um... You know, so in order to get to tell the story you want to tell, so I think this works kind of nicely and lets the it lets the audience member kind of figure it out on their own and kind of put all those pieces together without having to do that exposition. But you can only do that if it's a really well done film, Um, because otherwise it just all falls apart. Yeah, Um, it's
0: got to hold. Yeah, it's got to stand up, doesn't it? But this does,
2: which I I think makes it it a good film.
0: Yeah and it, and look you're absolutely right it, and it um it gives you much more of an emotional investment i think mm-hmm. rather than it just all being kind of explained to you right mm-hmm. it makes you figure it out it makes you do it makes you do a bit of work to get into it and then you enjoy it a lot more and when you come to the the end of the movie again it's kind of it's it's not all wrapped up it's a bit more wrapped up um than the start. I mean, it, it does kind of you know paint the picture for you. Look, you know, life's gone back to the valley and it, it's all fine. Everyone's okay again. But you know, K- Kushishana is heading off in her airplane, so she's still there. You know what happens to her? What happens with the Tomikians if they learnt their lesson? We don't really know, right? We don't know what happens next. Um, you know, the li- life is then springing up in that kind of part underneath the forest, the toxic forest. We see that one shoot coming up next to Nausicaa's mask. Um, and it's, well, so how does that work then? Is that, so is that this, is that how it's all going to be? Is life is going to grow back there? Is that, that, cause that was the filtration system. So, I mean, is that, I don't know, how is that going to affect everyone? So it's not, it's not all just kind of, you know, tied up and you're all set mm-hmm. back on your sofa with you, uh, with your can of soda pop. It, it makes you th- think, well, there might be something else you know there might be a a part two i'm glad obviously there's not a part two Mm -hmm. um but in your mind you know what is that what is next
2: yeah that's nice though i think it kind of like lets you almost like the exposition part it almost lets you kind of like envision what's happening next or you know where it can go you can kind of make up your own mind about what happens Mm -hmm. thank Mm -hmm. god there's not a sequel i mean if it was made yeah. today. There would definitely be a sequel because you know Hollywood doesn't know how to make anything original anymore. But um, you know <laughs> to explain everything. <laughs> yeah, and everything has to be like explained, which is yeah. just the silliest thing in the world. Um, I I like kind of, and it's a reason I like. I don't think it's necessarily a, a cultural thing, but it's you know a a reason I like reading um, Murakami. You know, like sometimes. Mm-hmm in more comic novels and i'm reading a lot of the short stories right now actually you know it's kind of all left up in the air a little bit you know and it leaves you feeling you know a little more i almost want to say connected it leaves you with a little piece of it you know a little piece of the movie or a little piece of the of the novel mm. in you because you kind of like you have to think about it yourself. You have to think about right. well what's happening or what's going to happen, you know. And I, I think that like I said, it takes a certain amount of skill as a filmmaker, as a writer, as a storyteller, but um I think that's present in this film.
1: You don't want the uh Kishana how she became evil prequel.
2: Nope. Don't need that prequel. Do not need that prequel. <laughs> don't need a Shia LaBeouf spinoff. Do not uh No do, I- do not need that.
1: I particularly like that Lord Yuba was just totally unexplained, and yet yep. from the cues in the movie, you could tell exactly what kind of figure he is. And it draws on like you know the vast tradition of storytelling, in that there often is a badass older wandering character, you know, and you can just mm-hmm. fill that in for yourself.
3: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Yeah, isn't that isn't that wonderful that that he's that he's created this enormous world? and just given us a tiny bit of it mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: and just left. And, but but he's given us, this is the masterful bit, isn't it? He's given us enough of, of Lord Yupa to understand exactly what he's all about. Yeah. The master swordsman and Ob- Obaba gives one one line about his purpose. Yeah. Lord Yupa is searching, searching for, you know, the, the promised, the, the, the coming of the... the promised one or whatever we want to call it mm-hmm. Nausicaa basically and it just gives you enough but but then but not more and and it's it's stop it's knowing where to stop mm-hmm. right that is that is the skill
1: yeah exactly
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's perfect isn't it Yep.
1: so one thing we talked about was like rating things yes like ranking oh, yeah. things did we come up with any good right. scales
0: yeah so each episode uh each movie we're going to give it a grade uh just like a school grade um what do you guys use over there in the u.s is it like a to f
1: yeah the e is mysteriously omitted
0: no e
2: no e
1: yeah
2: why (laughs) (laughs) it's a mystery
1: i have no idea (laughs) yeah why is that jamie
2: i've no like do you know why i don't know
1: i i don't Nope. i was about (laughs) to try to bullshit something Uh, and i don't uh, uh.
0: I'd love to have heard what that bullshit was.
1: I was gonna be like, each letter stands for something, and then aside from failing, I could not think of what they could stand for. So,
2: at first, I was gonna say vowels, but I was like, no, a is a vowel
1: <laughs> for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is definitely true. Yeah. A is definitely vowel. Um, right. Okay. Well, so we're gonna we're gonna skip the e. Um, yeah. A B C D F. Do you guys have plus and minuses as well? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so we'll do we'll do a proper school grading, and then I think one more. So we've got in the spirit of the name of the show, science and magic. Ruben, you got a good, good suggestion for uh, our second kind of scale.
2: So often in all the Studio Ghibli movies, you've got kind of a a fantasy world in it. You know where it's a fantasy world mixing in with the real world, and they kind of layer mm. on top of each other. Sometimes, sometimes they're pure fantasies. Sometimes they're, you know, a lot more uh grounded in the real world with just kind of fantastical themes um but i thought uh something that could work is having a whimsy scale how whimsical is this movie you know nice. it's kind of it's kind of like captures everything that's um you know surreal about it and kind of fantastical and fantasy it's almost like you know when you grade um a Murakami book by how otherworldly it is versus how like down (laughs) earth it is. I'm sure our listeners will will understand that reference. So um yeah so I think a whimsy scale would be nice for these movies um to kind of rank them.
0: Right. And and what what is the whimsy scale? How are we gonna kind of set it out? How are we gonna define it?
2: I think uh you know a one to ten scale would probably work best um right for whimsy level And, you know, just how kind of, for lack of a better term, how whimsical it feels, you know, how much it feels like, you know, it has a plot that's not tied to, you know, our everyday lives. You know, like Mm. something like Mm. when Marnie was there, was there. Mm. you know, that would probably rank fairly low, I would say. Or, you know, um, then you'd have something like uh, Porco Rosso, which would probably be in the middle, and then you'd have something Mm. like this one, which... I would I would say I would probably rank fairly high. It's in a kind of futuristic world. You know, it's very yep. musical. Um, but it's not quite... I would deduct it a couple of points because it isn't as kind of free and fun and funny kind of like, you know, uh, some of his movies. This one has more of a serious, mm. not like action tone, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it's more dramatic. So... It's not fully whimsical, so if something like yeah, this, I would probably, yeah, go ahead, Neil. Well,
0: I was going to say just on that as well. It's got the, it's got the uh, the airplanes, right, and the technology and that's mm-hmm. science based. That's more real world, isn't it, rather mm-hmm. than uh, whimsy and uh, and fantasy, which is more represented by the by the Omu, isn't it, and in, in all of the kind of uh, the um the bugs and the creatures in the forest cat buses, and et the cat. yeah yeah precisely the
1: little flying fox yes yep that's the most whimsical yeah. element in this movie as <laughs> far as I know
0: indeed <laughs> so alright right, so on on your whimsy scale then where are you putting it Ruben?
2: I would give this probably about a six point five I'd
1: say.
0: Six point five mm-hmm. okay yeah you are you in line with that? Are you on board with that Jamie or are you somewhere somewhere else?
1: I'm actually gonna go lower put it at about Mm. a four because I think that a lot of the things that could be whimsical, like the Omu, are actually treated very seriously by the movie Mm -hmm. Um, whereas Whimsy seems to me to have a little more like a winking quality, like, yeah, this is really cute you know, instead of being Mm -hmm. like a serious plot point
0: Yeah, uh, and I'm gonna maybe I'll just split that right down the middle and go with a five because I think that's about right, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's big heavy kind of technological and uh, real-world element, yet um, obviously with characters like um, Obaba, you know, kind of mystic kind of mm-hmm. quality to it. Uh, and then obviously the deity-esque um, Omu and the whole kind of resurrection thing we talked about. So yeah, I think I'll go straight down the middle um, with a five. So, and then given it a school grade, Uh, I'm going to give this one a B. Uh, It's going to give it a solid B, Um, neither a B plus or a B minus. Uh, I think it gets extra credit for being being so good, um, being the first one, but it feels like it's not quite an A because uh, I I think it has a slightly lengthy second act. Mm. Um, I I certainly wouldn't advocate... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't advocate any cuts, of course, but I feel (laughs) like it just drags drags a touch in the middle there. And I think some of the character designs, I mean, mainly uh, the men from the Valley of the Wind, they're just a little one note with their kind of ubiquitous giant walrus mustaches. <laughs> I mean, that itself turns into a bit of a Miyazaki trope. Um, and we're <laughs> going to see a lot of those characters coming up, but um, it's one that he uses a lot more sparingly in his future films. Um, and uh, he, you know, his characters in future films become a lot more nuanced uh, and a lot more individualistic so I'm, I'm it's not quite uh up there with the best but it's 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 a really strong solid start
1: mhm um i mean i feel like the mustache guys as someone who's like gone <laughs> out to clubs and bars in denver during the <laughs> 2010s guys with beards being interchangeable is like pretty common uh-huh. so that seemed realistic yeah. to me um, <laughs> that actually pushes its whimsy level down
3: <laughs> I
1: I actually I would give this movie an a minus I loved it mm-hmm. I thought it was fantastic so uh the mm-hmm. minus is because of that unresolved sexual tension yeah, right. you know I wanted to know where that was going that's all I yeah. got. <laughs>
3: What do you think,
0: Ruben?
2: Uh I'm gonna actually I think I'm gonna give it a B minus. Um I right. liked it. Um and there's certainly something to be said for the fact that it's the first one and it was very novel when it came out. However, I think it does drag a bit, um, as you were saying, Neil. Um it kind of lacks a little bit of pace. Um, like you're saying, especially mm-hmm. in the middle. I feel like it's a little lost, a little muddy, kind of like no rise of skywalker um or was it last jedi? <laughs> wow uh, uh yeah kind of like last jedi take which, your pick which drags yeah. in the middle um yeah with that stupid casino scene what was going on there oh my goodness b-. yes. Um, but uh yeah um yeah no i think a, a b minus um okay. i think his his others are a lot stronger hmm.
0: okay Nice. Well, it's, that averages out somewhere around the B plus, I guess. Mm-hmm. Good territory. So that's that's pretty good going. That's that's pretty good high grades for this for this very first one. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess that kind of wraps it up for this one. Um, we shall we shall move on to uh, Laputa Castle in the Sky uh, for our next one. Uh, so listeners, come back for that one. Um, we actually, how long uh, are we gonna? We'll probably put these out every week, I guess. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. We just do whatever we want. Every two weeks. Um, yeah. Make the
2: yeah, people
1: good. wait.
0: Make them wait.
2: That's right. False scarcity, principle yeah. of economics.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you guys about this movie. And uh, Rubes, do you have any? Uh, do you have any? Anything you want to plug? Any way you want to point the listeners to hear more of your your whimsical voice?
2: Um uh, my whimsical voice? No, I don't have anything else about my whimsical voice, but <laughs> I do uh often uh post things uh on my Instagram, especially very interesting long reads. I'm a big fan of nice. the long read. Um so my Instagram is just teruben dc. That's T E H R U B E N D C. Um and you can probably find some interesting Kind of long reads, you know, about various topics, current news, history, science, physics, um, and also uh, pictures of my cat, Hobbs, who I love and is my Brilliant. best friend in the entire world.
0: And occasionally Calvin.
2: Sometimes Calvin, but he's kind of a dick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what, Ruben, I've got something for you. Uh, you mentioned your long reads. You're an avid magazine reader, I know that. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Paste Magazine?
2: I have heard of Paste, yes.
0: Pace Magazine has a top 100 Japanese anime movie list. Really? Now, I don't want you to Google it, or well, you, Jamie. <laughs> each episode, I will ask you to guess where you think each of our movies ranks. Oh. I think they're pretty much all on there. There might be a few that aren't, but, you know, the can most I, of them are on there.
2: Can I straight up guess what I think their number one pick is?
0: Uh, Sure.
2: Okay. Yeah. I think it's probably Akira. Uh,
0: you'll be right. That is correct. <laughs> it is number Jeez. one. So spoilers for not being a Studio Ghibli movie at number <laughs> one. Um, but we'll see. We, we'll see. Uh, and then look, at, at the end, at the very end of our run, um, once we've graded all of them, it'll be fun to compare it to how they fit into Paste's 100 We'll get a ranking, a past's ranking compared to our ranking. That's great. That's really we'll cool. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you think? What do you think? Norska. Where do you think Norska ranks in that top 100?
1: Oh gosh, out of a mm. hundred, mm-hmm. mm, maybe in the 60s, maybe like 65. Mm-hmm. You keeping track right. of this, Neil? Yep. Okay. I'm gonna well, I'm going to tell you in a sec, but oh, yeah, go Oh, ahead. okay. Watch I you. thought you were going to tell us at the end. Now I get it. I'm going to
2: tell you I'm going to guess somewhere because uh it's the first one and because of its of how novel it is, I think it's probably going to rank somewhere in the 40s. Maybe 47, mm-hmm. right, okay. I'd say. Okay. Right,
0: right. Well, we'll see how uh your barometer on these things tracks over over the run. <laughs> this one ranked 24th. Oh, wow. wow underrated so, by us okay. yeah. yeah well no but I think that's you know it's tricky on that first one to get it yeah because you know you're gonna have a you're gonna have a better sense of it with each one so 24th um it's nowhere near the highest uh Ghibli ranking okay by the way uh, and it's also nowhere near the lowest so they've put it somewhere in the middle um and um so right so go go and check out Ruben for the long reads on, on Instagram and then uh Jamie, you've got a fantastic uh, it's a, a podcast that I'd like you to tell the listeners about as well.
1: Yeah, I do a podcast um, with my dear friend, Clea, that is called Radio Clash Revival. We're on SoundCloud. Yeah. And um, basically, she and I had a radio show at Oxford, when we were grad students together. And this is just a continuation of our radio show
0: and it's on SoundCloud because you play the tracks.
1: Yes. But be quiet about that because sometimes there's copyright <laughs> issues. <laughs> oh, Which played. also happened to Oxford Student Radio Station while we were oh. DJs there. They did not pay any fees for playing songs and got taken down by the government.
0: <laughs>
1: so we're just continuing that tradition.
0: <laughs> so they're going to be they're going to be after you and uh you and you and Claire.
1: We had to take down one episode, actually.
0: <laughs> <Oof>. Wow! <laughs> Naughty girls. Yeah. So go and check that out as well. Uh, yep. Radio pirate Clash radio is fantastic. You get a book, You get a good book. Rev- uh, good book recommendation each time yes. as well.
1: We each do a book recommendation each time. So there's also it's, books, books and music. It's excellent. Thank you, Neil.
0: Oh, it's it's my pleasure. It's really really great. I love it. Um, and then if uh, you if you if you really want to hear more from me. Um, you can check out the Mogwai Minute if you... if you Well, you don't have to like Gremlins, the movie, or Gremlins 2. George and I talk sometimes about the movie and sometimes about just, you know, the differences between uh, the things he eats and the things I eat and stuff like that.
1: I had never seen those movies, and I listened to Mogwai Minute, and hmm. it was really fun. <laughs> and then I was a guest it's, on it, despite not having seen the movies.
2: Indeed. I, <laughs> indeed. I watched it's, them it's and when I was a child, and I... I got reminded of them when I watched the Key and Peele skit about the creation of Gremlins 2, which yes. is oh, great. absolutely so crazy. And kind it's of bonkers. is how I think it actually happened. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah.
0: It's all in there. It's all in the movie. It's all, in there. all right, we'll close this one out then. Thanks, listeners. Uh, and us, we'll see you on the next one.